Jordan. If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open them to Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2, we'll continue our study here in this sweet little book. Um, we began kind of a, an interlude last week from our study of Luke with this, this book, and so we'll spend a couple weeks here, and this will be our second week. We'll consider all of chapter 2 together. So Ruth chapter 2, let's read. It says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered, answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge." Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to, the, to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave to her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I have worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Boabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with, this young, without with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning it to the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. 
The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, this is your word, and as we come to it now, we pray your blessings upon this time, uh, that you would speak to us in a mighty way so that we might see ourselves and we might see our Savior in these pages. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Young man, his clothes were filthy. They were once the the best that money could buy, but now they were covered in the filth and the grime of the floor that was his new home. On his hands and even in his hair were the remnants of the meal that he had ate last night uh, with his new roommates, uh, with the pigs who were his only companions. As he sat there that night, he asked, how had he gotten to this point? How had life taken such a terrible turn? It was not that long ago that he had left his father's house with a pocket full of his inheritance, with big dreams for what he would do in a foreign land, everything. It seemed to be perfect. But now, here he was, not in the home of his dreams, not even in the place of his dreams, but here he was in a pigsty. Here he was at rock bottom. Never had the future seemed so bleak. Never had things been so insecure. Never had he had so little hope. Well, many of you will recognize in my little retelling there that the story of the prodigal son. And I begin there this morning because it's a reminder to us of how low rock bottom can really be. And it's a reminder to us, I think, of where we left Ruth and especially Naomi last week at the end of chapter one. You remember as we began, Naomi went out and she was full. She had a husband, she had two sons, but as she comes back to Bethlehem, she is empty. All she has left is a daughter-in-law, Ruth, And frankly, just in the grand scheme of things, Ruth doesn't provide her a whole lot of hope. And so you remember the words that that she says in verses 13 and verses 20 of verse 1. We'll read verse 20. She says, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me? And the Almighty has brought calamity against me. Now, I think we hear this desperation, uh, this bitterness continue into the words of of chapter 2 there at the beginning. In verse 2, Ruth decides that she wants to go out and to try to help herself and help her mother-in-law. She says, I'm going to go out and glean in the field. And what does Naomi say to her? She doesn't say, oh, that's a good idea. I think I'll go with you. Oh, I think that's a great idea. Let me see if I can help. She says, go. Go, get out of here. Go, go do whatever you think is best. Leave me here to my suffering. You can hear the bitterness there even in that biting response. It's very short, but there's bitterness in it. And so it's easy to see that, that Naomi and Ruth, they have reached rock bottom. There seems to be no way out. But here in chapter 2, almost as if by chance... Things begin to change for both of them. Through the the kindness of God's word, through the kindness of his providence, and through the kindness of his redeemer, 
Ruth and Naomi, they are surprised by a glimmer of hope. Hope that that maybe the future is not quite so empty. Hope that, that maybe God is not through with them yet. Hope in his plan, that it is a good plan, and that it is just beginning to unfold. And so for us this morning, if you're here today and you're like Naomi and you are at rock bottom, or maybe you are just praying for someone who is at rock bottom, or maybe you're just facing an uncertain future, wherever you may be, would you come along with me this morning as we look at the story of Ruth and Naomi, and as we see them surprised by hope, may God surprise us with that same hope. So let's look at it together. The first thing that I want you to see here is the kindness of God's word. The kindness of his word. And you see it in verses 1 through 3. And really you see it in two ways. First you see the kindness of God's word in his provision of food to Ruth and Naomi. Look at verse 2 there. She says, Ruth, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Now, Now this request of Ruth, what she asked to do here... It's not just a random request. It is not merely, though it is desperate, it is not merely a desperate plea, a desperate act on her behalf. No, what she is doing, she is doing on on the basis of God's word, right? If you flip over to Leviticus chapter 19 and in verse 9, or Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse 19, you read these words, and I'm reading from Leviticus It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. And did you pick up on on what God has decreed in his law there? He has said, He has set up a system even for those who are poor, those who are needy, even for the foreigner in his land. He will not see them go hungry. And so he sets up this way. He provides for them, even for the least among his people. Now, it should be noted as we consider that, that that the way he has provided it is through work, right? He hasn't just simply given it to them. He, he, what he has set up is a way that they can go work and get some food for themselves. And, and it is hard work. Uh, we can be sure that it was hot, that, that it was backbreaking, as these women would have to bend down and pick up what was left over, have to take it and thresh it out. It, it was certainly work for them to do these things. And it was also, apparently, dangerous work for these women, right? We're, we're reminded more than once that Boaz has to tell his men to leave the, the women alone, right? Uh, Naomi is concerned about Ruth's safety to some degree or another, and that's especially true for a foreigner, you would think, for someone who doesn't have a tribe to protect them, to, to look out for them. And so this is work for her. And my point here is not that, that God helps those who help themselves, because that's not a verse that's in the Bible. Uh, My point is not even to make a political statement, though there are things that we can learn here as a nation from what God has set up. No, my my point is, is I want you to see that in requesting to do this, what Ruth is doing is stepping out 
in faith. This is an act of faith on her behalf. Faith that God would provide. Faith that God would bless even the the measly work of her hands. And faith that God would protect her all along the way. Ruth has faith in the kindness of God's word. Now, Friends, what a wonderful lesson that must have been to the original readers of this book. I failed to tell you this last week, but the people that this book was written to were most likely people who have seen the reign of King David and who have seen the fall of Solomon and his kingdom. They've seen the kingdom split. They are living under bad kings. They themselves have forsaken the law, God's word. They are living openly in sin, and they need to be reminded that God has decreed these things. Remember, they won't see the book of the law again until Josiah, way later on. So they need to be reminded that God has said, but they also need to be reminded that through that word, he is kind. He is good to them. He has given them his grace through his word. And it's a wonderful reminder to us as well. You know, as God's people, we don't go out into the world, uh, you know, shooting from the hip. We don't go out blindly. We don't sit around wishing on our lucky stars. No, knowing the truth, knowing the kindness of God's word, the provisions that he has made, we, like Ruth, can step out in faith not, not in a works way, but knowing that, that God has promised to, to bless the works of our hands. When we look to him by faith, that he has promised to be with us, that he has promised to provide for us. Certainly, it may require uncomfortable situations. It may require hard work as it has for Ruth. But we can be sure that his word is faithful and that he is kind and gracious through it. And so we see his provision of food, but secondly, I want you to see here also the provision of a redeemer in his word, right? Now, our author, he he kind of buries the lead. He, he, in verse 1, tells us what what Ruth and Naomi, they don't know, and what Boaz really doesn't know either. He goes ahead ahead and kind of um, foreshadows in a way that kills all suspense, but he says there, now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now, we're going to say a whole lot more about this next week, but I simply want you to recognize that, that what, what the author is reminding us there is that, that God in his law, once again, has set up this system of Leverite marriage. He has set up a kinsman redeemer, and the author knows it. Ruth and Naomi don't know it yet. Boaz doesn't know it yet. But God has set this up in a way so that they can be provided for. Even a widow, even the the childless, his word provides. Friends, again, isn't that always the, the truth of this book that we hold in our hands? All of us come to it poor and needy. All of us come into the world as foreigners like Ruth in a land that is not our own, in a land that is far away from God. We come into it aliens, foreigners. We come into it spiritually starved, and we find here God's provision to us. We find here the the spiritual food that we need. We also find God's plan for a Redeemer, a plan that began in Genesis 3, really that began at the foundations of the world plan to save us, a plan to give us hope 
And so here we have the, the kindness of God's word. Secondly, in this passage, I want you to notice the kindness of God's providence. Kindness of God's providence. You see it in verse 3. Now it says there that Ruth goes to the field and notice how he words it. That, that she just happens upon the field of Boaz. You know, from, from every perspective, from, from Ruth's, from Boaz's, from Naomi's, it looks like chance. It looks like just a happy accident of fate that, that she would go there, that she would be there at that time. But again, our author, he knows better. He's already told us of Boaz's existence in verse 1. And here he shows us God's sovereign hand at work, at work in the lives of these people who have lost so much, who are at rock bottom. And notice, how does God work all of this out? It's not through the miraculous. It's not miraculous signs and wonders that he does. It's not through angelic beings coming down and speaking to Ruth and saying, hey, go here. It's just through the normal circumstances of her life, right? As she goes out and tries to find just basic needs for her and her mother-in-law, food. As she acts in faith by stepping out to begin with. Even through the, the bitterness of Naomi, God is at work. He, he is directing their steps. God's providence is kind. Most of you know the, the story of Koi Tim Boom. Uh, and how she and her family would hide Jews uh, during World War II, and how ultimately they themselves were cap captured and sent to a, a concentration camp. And after she got out, she would often speak uh, to, to people and tell of her time there, and she would tell uh, of God's faithfulness. And when she would speak, she would always hold a piece of embroidered cloth like this. And she would say, now, you know, God's weaving all of these things in our lives. And she would read this poem as she did it. It goes, My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors. He weaveth steadily. Oftentimes he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget that he sees the upper. He sees the, the top part of the embroidery, and I see the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttle ceases to fly Will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why? The dark threads are needful and the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver and the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth condemn. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. And so she would hold, I can't show you all that side yet. He would show, she would hold it like this. She would say, look how ugly that looks. Now, look, this has been done by some professional people, and so that doesn't look very ugly. But you got the, the thread sticking out. It's hard to even decide what that really is. And after she read the poem, she would turn it around. And now hers was a crown. It was a crown of gold. This is just about as good as a crown. It says Mississippi State National Champions. So um, it's pretty good. But the point was, is on the other side, what you couldn't see on the back would only seem to be just random threads and random places. On the other side was a, a great design, a beautiful design, something really valuable, right? Well, friends, in the same way, God takes these threads and he winds them through our lives. He's done it for Naomi and Ruth here. Threads that were harmful. 
threads that hurt them in so many ways. Threads that seem to stick in every single direction. But all we can see is the underside of the plan. The master weaver, we can be sure, is weaving it all together in such a way that when we can see the plan from the other side, we will see the beauty of it. We'll see the perfection of it. We will see that he indeed was doing all things well. He has kind providence to us. Even the harmful things, even the hurtful things, he is doing it in kindness, in goodness. And so we've seen that the kindness of God's word, the kindness of God's providence. And then thirdly and finally, I want you to notice the kindness of God's redeemer, the kindness of God's redeemer. And you see that beginning in verse four through the rest of the chapter. Now, I just want to start by by pointing out what the the author goes to great lengths to to make clear to us, and it's the character of Boaz. Uh, From the very first verse of chapter 2, he wants us to see that that Boaz is a worthy man, that that he is a God-fearing man, a good man, right? And you see it played out in verse 4 as he approaches his field. Uh, he, He looks at his workers and he says, the Lord bless you. Or the Lord be with you, and they turn around, and the response, really we see how good of a man it, he is in the response of his workers, right? They don't say, ah, oh, it's Boaz again, it's this guy, we got to put up with this today, why is he here? They don't say any of those things. They say, the Lord bless you, the Lord be with you as well. Now look, maybe I'm making too much of that, but I think it's clear that the author wants us to see that, that Boaz, in so many ways, is a man of God. He is a worthy man. And even more importantly than that, he shows that character. He shows the character of his God, the God that he believes in, in the way that he interacts with Ruth. And that's really what I want you to see here, because he reflects God to us and he reflects God to her. First, notice how he simply sees her to begin with. He sees her and he recognizes her among the women that are gleaning there. Look, maybe as a foreigner, she stood out. Maybe she wasn't hard to recognize. But, but notice in verse 5 how he doesn't simply see her. He also inquires of her. He goes to the man that's in charge and he says, Who is that? Who is this girl that, that is out there in the field among the women? Now, I think it's safe to say up until this point, at Ruth's time in Bethlehem, there probably haven't been very many people who, who have spoken to her in a kind way. She's probably met a lot of silent stares, of quick dismissals, at the very best indifference, I would think. She's a Moabite. She, she has very little to offer anyone. And so people probably had not treated her very well up until that point. That's certainly what we would have expected of a wealthy, honorable landowner here. Why would he recognize one so low? Why would he care that another woman was gleaning in his field? Friends, how kind is it that Boaz simply sees her? That of all the people that are in that field, he sees her and he recognizes her. His kindness doesn't stop there. Not only does he see her and recognize her, but he speaks to her face to face, right? And notice, he doesn't send a man out to say, hey, go get her and bring her to me. But he comes down into the field, and he speaks to her face to face. And what does he say in verse 11? 
He recognizes the faithfulness that she has shown to her mother-in-law. Again, how much must, must that have meant to Ruth in that moment? Nobody, up until this point, has recognized anything that she's done. The fact that even Naomi, I don't know that she has really appreciated what Ruth has done for her. She left her family, she left everything behind, and now here she is gleaning in a field just to find food for herself. Boaz recognizes it. He sees her, and he commends her. He He calls down God's blessing on her. How edifying that must have been. How encouraging it must have been to her. How kindly Boaz speaks. But he doesn't just speak. His, his words, they turn into actions as well, right? His kindness goes beyond just words. In verse 8 and 9, he offers her the security of his field. He says, don't go anywhere else. You stay here with me and you glean in this field. Verse 9, he offers the security of his protection. He says, don't go anywhere else. Haven't I told the men not to touch you, not to harm you? Then he provides for her needs as well. He gives her water in verse 9. Verse 14, he, he invites her even to his table. He says, you sit down and you eat with me. You eat with the men. And you eat until you are full and you take what you don't eat. Take it back home with you. She has enough to go back to Naomi. And when she threshes out her, her wheat, she has enough that, that Naomi is surprised. She can't believe that she has this much. And so he's kind to her in word. He's kind to her in deed then also his kindness extends to her and Ruth, her and Naomi, a future hope. And you see it there in verses 20 through 23. She comes home with all of this food, and Naomi says, how did you get all of this? What what has happened? And Ruth explains to her, this man, Boaz, he, he has helped me, he has seen me, he has given me this food. And you can see Naomi's wheels, they start turning. She says, hey, this man... This man is a relative. Even more than that, listen to her words in verse 20 once again. It says, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord. Whose? Now, that, where, who does that who refer to? I think it's probably referred to both of them. But, but he says, she says, Whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead? This woman, who in, chap, in verse 20 of chapter 1 said, the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. He has forsaken me. He has pushed me away. He has done all of these things. Now, just one short chapter later, she sees that he has not forsaken the living or the dead, that he is at work, that he is doing great. She begins to have just a glimmer, however small it may be, of hope for the future. He's not angry. But he is merciful. He is abounding in steadfast love. She sees the kindness of God. Now, there's one last thing I want you to notice here, and it's what I pointed out to the kids just a minute ago. How much did all of this cost Ruth? What did Boaz demand in return for his kindness? The answer is is nothing, right? This, in so many ways, was unmerited grace to her. Now, certainly, she had been faithful to, to Naomi, and Boaz recognizes that, but it didn't, her, her faithfulness did not obligate Boaz in any way 
He did not have to show her any amount of kindness because I'm sure many people had heard of what Ruth had done for Naomi. And so he's not obligated. But he gives to her freely. He gives to her of his grain, of his food, of his water, of his protection, of his reputation, right? His reputation is on the line. He gives it freely. Well, friends, if you have ears to hear, I hope, I pray that you have, through this last point, heard the story of God's great kindness, not only to Ruth and Naomi, but his great kindness to you and I, his great kindness to all who belong to him. Like Ruth, we said it earlier, we come into the world as outsiders, foreigners, separated from God by our sin and our guilt. And no matter how we may try, we cannot make our way back to him. But even in our lowest state, God sees us. That one sheep that has gone astray, that one sheep that is lost, and he comes down. He sees us like, Ruth, like Boaz saw Ruth. He recognizes us, and he comes down. He doesn't say, hey, you, you come up here. You earn your way up here. No, he comes down into the field with us. And he speaks to us. He even calls us by name. He claims us as his own. And he offers us the security of his field. The green pastures, right? Psalm 23. He offers us the security of his protection. He prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies, right? He provides for our needs. He gives us our daily bread. And even more, he gives us his perfect righteousness. So like Ruth, we might sit at his table. We might enjoy the pleasures that he gives there. All of his goodness, all of his uh, benefits lavished upon us. He gives us that righteousness so that we might experience them all. And then he gives us a future hope. Behold, I am coming to make all things new. And what does all of this cost us? It's free, right? It's God's gift, as, as Amelia said, right. It is, it's faith. It's God's gift to us. Unmerited favor, grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. And that's it, right? The kindness that God has shown us. God has shown us his love and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, how kind is our God? How gracious he is to us. Even us, the lowest even us who, who are, are easily overlooked, even us who have sinned against him so mightily, how surprised, how blown away we should be by hope, the hope that he extends to us through his kindness. Well, that, that dirty, smelly young man that we began with, with in the pigsty, he, he eventually comes to his senses, right? He thinks, man... My father, the, the servants in my father's house, they, they have more than this. Maybe if I go back to him, maybe if I say just the right words, maybe he'll take me back just as a slave. Maybe he'll take me back as a servant, and I can at least get out of this pigsty. So he prepares his speech, and it's a good one. He's got all of the forgiveness in there. He's going to confess all that he's done. It's a good speech. He's got a lot of time to prepare it. He's in the pigsty. He's got to go all the way back home you remember what happens? The father, he's sitting out on the porch, and while the son is still long ways off, 
He sees him coming. And what does he do? Does he say, well, I'll give him some more time to think about what he's done. I'll give him some more time to prepare his speech. By the time he gets here, he'll really be sorry. He'll know I'm mad, and he'll know I mean business. Is that what the father does? No. He jumps off the porch. He runs out and he greets him. And immediately, what does he begin to do? He begins to lavish him with kindness. He hugs him. He kisses him. He gives him the best ring. He gives him the best robe. He says, get the fattened calf because we're having a party. Because this son of mine who was gone, he has now returned. The father, he didn't wait. He didn't ask for anything. He simply showed Kindness. Kindness to the Son. Friends, this is the way that our God receives sinners. He shows them kindness through His Word. He shows them kindness through His good providence. And most of all, He shows them kindness through His Redeemer. Imagine the surprise of that Son when He gets there. And the Father doesn't tell Him, hey, you're going to be a slave. The father doesn't even let him speak. Imagine his surprise when he realizes that this father has been longing to see him, that he is so glad that he is back. Imagine how surprised he is by that kindness. Friends, do you know this kindness? Do you know the great love of God lavished upon us through Jesus Christ our Lord? If not, I invite you today to come. Come and see that he truly is good. Let's pray together. Father, as we consider these things as we consider your overwhelming mercy and grace to us, the way that you have redeemed us uh, through your Son, the way that you have seen us at our worst and have loved us. Father, we praise you and we thank you that, that you are kind and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And Lord, we know that, that we don't deserve any of those things. It truly is unmerited favor to us. And so we pray that it would cause us, like Ruth, to to bow before you with our faces on the ground and praise you as our King and our Redeemer. Lord, show us, even if it's just a small glimpse of the way that you are threading this life uh, and that you are threading it for good. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.